Hey, this is Brandon McManus, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion, and you listen to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop. This is Season 6, Episode 26. I'm John DiCarlo. Sam Cohn and Sam Newman are with me once again. Kyle Gauss is off this week. This is the... Would it bother you guys if I said this is the Chase Utley episode of, of The Scoop? Yes. Can we pick someone else? The yeah. Saquon, no, I'm Saquon just kidding. Barkley episode? Honestly, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> that might be worse. We wait, it didn't Wade Boggs wear number 26? I have no, no. idea. Again, I, I'm I, so I, bad with numbers. I'm not a Chase Utley guy, obviously. But. Why? Because he hustled and was really good? Uh, are you still well, mad? Are you still mad about that takeout slide against the? That was that was such a dirty slide. I mean, I, I'm happy it happened though. Well, not I'm not happy that he got hurt, but like it kind of like rejuvenated the Mets. Sam has more of a vendetta for the Phillies than I do. I just don't like them because they're not the Red Sox. But when I was younger, when I used to play MLB like the show or MLB 2K, MLB 2K 12 was probably the last MLB game I really played. Uh, I used to be the Phillies all the time. That was a great Phillies team. Was it really? Well, it was a great era for Phillies. That was like oh, yeah. Howard, Chase oh, I thought you meant, Okay, I thought you meant like I, – I, I'm sorry, I misheard you. I thought you meant like the game was – the the game was really good. The game itself. Um, oh, the yeah. Game was, the game was great. Obviously a very, very – yeah, very good. Very good Phillies team. We can't forget about Kyle Corver. Mm. Kyle Corver, award number 26. That's true. He did. He's bounced around a lot. Has he changed numbers or has he been 26? Yeah, I think he was, was he 26 with the Sixers? I don't know. I'm not sure. He's still in the NBA. I feel like he's with the internet. He's playing, he's playing the Kyle. role of Austin Kutcher in a in a biopic. <laughs> he plays for the Bucks. Yeah. Who last played for the Bucks? Does that mean he retired? Yes. I so. feel like we should I feel like this is something we should know. I think 2018 I was the last time like he played. Kyle Corver could come off the street and yeah, just... 20 he played in 2019 for Milwaukee, and I don't see any 2020 stats. I'm assuming do you guys know do you guys know where he played his college ball? Creighton. Creighton, right? Good. Good job. Good job. Anyway, we, <laughs> Look do at us. A, we do have a pack show for you guys. Again, um, you're probably listening to this on Thursday morning. Temple is set to tip off soon against USF in the American Athletic Conference Tournament. We're going to lead off the podcast here talking about the Temple basketball team, which has obviously been on a, uh, a little bit more than the two-week pause due to the multiple uh, positive COVID tests in the program. So again, the last two regular season games at UCF and against Wichita state were canceled and, uh, the owls will see what they can do in the conference tournament. Now, um, uh, have a interview for you guys with Brian Roland, the temple men's soccer coach. Now you guys know that we typically don't talk soccer on this pod on the podcast, but when temple knocks off the number two team in the country in SMU, it's time to talk some soccer. I wanted to pay tribute to the, you know, to what they've done. Um, just a, a real signature win for the program. So we're looking forward to, to bringing that interview to you guys. And we'll also be talking to Temple tight end David Martin Robinson as well. So a lot of stuff to get to. We're excited to bring it to you this week. But let's talk first about this Temple basketball team. Um, if you haven't read it already, the Sam's here, Sam Conan, Sam Newman, Boston Sam and Carolina Sam, have you taken care of for the preview for the game you guys outlined three keys to the game. Um, if you guys want to get into that, talk about that. Obviously, one of the big – before we get to the three keys to the game, uh, injuries are a big thing. Now, Damian Don is questionable. 
if we had to guess, we think that he, he might be playing in this game. Uh, but beyond that, the, the, the bigger storyline could be who's not playing for USF in the way of, uh, in the way of Alexis Yetna and Caleb Murphy. Caleb Murphy was on the Americans all freshman team, Alexis Yetna. While he hasn't quite been the same uh, as he was pre-injury, still a very good basketball player, still a problem inside. If those guys aren't playing, this game's different. Uh, you guys, again, you broke down the game in the preview here. Let's look at the three keys to the game. You guys talked about the rebounding battle, the turnover margin, and streaky shooting. But what's your general vibe heading into this as you outline the keys to the game? It's a weird situation where, again, it's a, in a weird season. Temple's coming off a 15-day pause. They haven't played in a long time. This is the first time that they're, be, they're playing the same opponent three times in a row but it's been two weeks since they've played. What are we looking at here with the keys to the game? What, what, what kind of vibe do you guys have heading into this game? I think that right now where we are, again, this is one day before the game. We don't know for sure whether Damian Dunn is playing or not. Um, I think I give the slight advantage to Temple in this game, and I think if you're a Temple, you're looking at USF as a favorable matchup to what could have been. Um, I guess their only really other options would have been playing UCF uh, – Maybe Tulsa if things had gone differently. But USF, I think, is a is an okay matchup for them in round one of the conference tournament. I mean, they split with them. The last, as you mentioned, the last two games, having two weeks off of not playing makes things tougher. But if USF doesn't have Alexis Yetna and Caleb Murphy, which I think both of them are questionable, but I guess I would lean towards probably unlikely to play, then you're looking at uh, things opening a lot for Temple because the last time they played – um, Alexis and I got hurt that game and they were able to do a lot more with him off the floor. Like he's such an inside presence. And if you remember Nick Jordan started that game and a lot of the reason was he matched up well against Alexis Yetna, but when Yetna gets hurt, like the, things in the middle open up a lot more. And as we got to in our keys, in our keys to the game, like the rebounding battle is going to be huge as it has been, you know, all season for temple. If they can keep opposing teams off the offensive glass and limit second chance points, it's going to help their team a lot on, uh, on the scoreboard. So without Alexis yet, and I think that would, that would be a huge boost for them on the interior. I'll let Sam take the other, the other keys to the game and his thoughts. Yeah. Just wanted to add the point there. Um, I mean, when, when Yetna was off the court, it was pretty evident that Temple kind of commanded the, the, the interior. Michael Durr is seventh, seven footer, but like, he doesn't really, I, I feel like he's not as effective without yet knowing the court and he wasn't and, and temple really got to go forth with their game plan, which McKee said that the game plan that they had in the game before were just weren't able to execute it. And then they were able to execute it without yet knowing the floor. And I think that was, you know, it was pretty evident. So just going off Sam's point, I mean, I, the rebounding is of course crucial, but also a turnover margin. I mean, temple has been wildly plagued by turnovers this season excessive. I mean, a lot of unforced errors, um, you know, the, they had that six game losing streak, which which a lot of the, the, it had to do with the turnovers um, there this year. Um, I'm just reading this right now. They off our preview, they ranked dead last in the conference in turnover margin, giving up the ball two point three, three more times per game than opponent. And when they beat USF, they took care of the basketball. I mean, it, it's simple terms, but I mean, if they take care of the basketball, win the win the battle in the interior, I feel like this lean towards Temple. Um, we like to see Damian Dunn play. We just don't know. But, I mean, without Yetna, who we know what he's capable of, and Caleb Murphy, who was named a first-team um, – was named all-freshman. I think there's only one team. So he's named all-freshman AAC today. 
um, yeah, so I, I feel like without without those two, I, I would agree with Sam. I, I would give Temple the edge. So if Yetna doesn't play, how do you think they start this game offensively? Are they, set, are they sending guys to drive through the lane? Uh, now, of course, if Damian – let me back up for a second. If Damian Dunn does play – I could see Aaron being cautious and saying, we'll bring you off the bench, but if he's good to go, I could also see him saying, we're going to put you right back in the starting lineup. And maybe you go back to the starting lineup you had with Caleb battle coming off the bench. There are a lot of different variables heading into this game. And not the least of which is again, they've been on a 15 day pause. They couldn't, it's not like they just practice as a whole team for two weeks straight. You got to remember that they could only do individual workouts for the guys that were quarantined and had not tested positive and then they kind of brought the team back together. So things have been a little disjointed. So we'll have to see what kind of a starting lineup is out there. Depending on who's on the floor, if Yetna is not playing, do you see Aaron saying to these guys, hey, I want you to take it to him. I want you to either drive through the paint or do they try to get uh, do they try to get Jake Forrester? Or again, depending on who's in the starting lineup, do they try to get Nick Jordan involved with him out? Do you think that's something that they attack right away with him out of the game? I think especially if he's not in the game, and this is something they've done throughout much of the season, is as Aaron McKee calls it, playing inside out. Gain the ball inside, see what you can get there, and then if not, kick things out, work things out, just to make the defense kind of collapse and shift the defense around. But I think if they can exploit Jake Forrester's mismatch inside, if they can get him going, keep him on the floor, get him out of keep him out of foul trouble, and have Nick Jordan be able to play the inside out, play inside and be able to step out too and kind of stretch the defense, I think that's going to be – a huge added bonus for them for what they'll be able to do. But to your question, I would say that uh, it, he'll he'll look for guys like Caleb Battle, Damian Dunn to attack the interior and and to be able to exploit that mismatch. I think that we might see the exact same starting lineup, to be honest with you. I think it worked. I, and if it's not broke, don't fix it. I think Nick Jordan should be in the starting lineup with Forrester. Um, JP coming off the bench definitely – gave a spark to his game, gave a juice to them. So if JP and Damien Dunn and Brandon Berry are three first guys off the bench, I mean, you got to like that if you're Temple. Um, especially with the way that Caleb has been playing lately, I think you have to keep him in the starting lineup. And then, as John mentioned, I mean, Damien Dunn hasn't played in, what, like nearly a month at this, at this point. I don't know if he's ready to, to for a live ball action to be starting. But, like, if you can ease him in there, give him 20 minutes, I mean, he, he's a great guy to come off the bench for you. What kind of Caleb battle do we think we're going to see in this game, are we going to see the Caleb battle who, you know, put up 32 points, but turned the ball over a lot against USF, or are we going to see the more composed Caleb battle who scored a little bit less in the win, but also turned it over less. I think you're going to see the Caleb battle, the latter Caleb battle, the one that scored 22 shot at a better clip. My, but my amendment to that point is that if, is the question of how does he react if he's not shooting the ball well? Right. If he takes his first six shots and only hits one or two of them, does he try to shoot his way out of a slump? Or does he realize, hey, this is the conference tournament. Like, what I do does not matter. It's all about, you know, and I'm not saying that he's a selfish player by any means, but we saw when he dropped 30, it took him a lot of, a lot of shot attempts to get there. And with his 22, he shot at a much higher clip and was able to help the team because he was scoring at such a high rate. So my question is, if Caleb Battle doesn't get going right away what's his response to adversity in that situation and I think if Damien Dunn's on the floor I think he responds well and if Damien Dunn's not on the floor I could see things going south quickly 
Yeah, and then it's a lot to ask to put that on the way to the shoulders of a true freshman in Jeremiah Williams, who's only played 15 career games for for Temple to really lead them to the next round of a conference tournament, which he's never played in before. So, yeah. <laughs> That's the other piece, too. And again, you guys pointed this out in the preview. J.P. Mormon, Andre Perry are the only two guys with, you know, with conference tournament experience. Obviously, there was no conference tournament last year. They got down to Dallas, got down to Fort Worth. The whole thing never happened. So it is a, a largely new roster, which is which is nothing new. A part of that largely new roster is Brendan Barry. We've talked a lot this season about what can they do? What have they not done to get him loose for some shots? Now, obviously, if you can get him loose for a few open looks, he's he could be the difference between, a, you know, a, a six point win and a 16 point win. You could really put some distance between these two teams. In the span of two weeks, again, knowing that they haven't been able to practice as a whole team over the last two weeks, do you think in that time, again, you've seen enough film, you have enough experience in looking at USF, do you think Aaron McKee and the staff have found any other creative ways to say we've, we've got to get him loose for more shots uh, because it's a, it's a, it could be the difference in us, like I said, winning this game narrowly and winning this game comfortably? I would hesitate to say that they've spent the last two weeks looking for more creative ways to get him open. Uh, I don't remember his figures from the first time they play USF, but the second time when they won, he was, I think, 0 for 3 from deep. So he got a couple looks, just happened to not fall, uh, which is basketball, which is life. That happens. There's going to be nights where the ball doesn't fall through the hoop. But I think if they can get him those looks that they got in the win, and if he hits one or two, I think you're happy if he goes one or two for three. If he at least can get a couple looks, if they can find him in space and at least make defenses think about what he's doing, that opens up the floor so much more. And of course it's the kind of thing where like, if he hits the first, maybe he kind of gets into a groove, hits a second, whatever gets into a groove where, as you had mentioned, that can turn a six point lead into an 11 into a 12 point lead and a 15 point lead. But um, so I, I, but I would hesitate to say that they're spending the last two weeks trying to pick apart ways to get him more open just because the, the practice time has been somewhat limited with what they've been able to do with the COVID pause. Just to echo Sam's point real quick, I think Temple did a really good job of getting Brendan Barry looks in their win there's USF. And like you just said, the shots, it just wasn't his night. The shots weren't falling. He had good looks. I, I think if they're able to continue to do that, you might, you know, you, you'll take six points from Brendan Barry. Obviously, you'd like to see more, but like two, two three-pointers, I mean, I mean it's, it's not nothing to sneeze at. So one one uh, one last uh, nothing to sneeze at. I like that, Sam. Um one last player to talk about before we close out the, the preview of this game. We talked about Jeremiah Williams. I, I think we can all agree that he was erroneously left off of the, uh, the, the, the conference uh, all-freshman team. But nonetheless, put together a pretty solid, again, abbreviated freshman campaign for the Owls. Average 9.3 points, 3.6 rebounds, 4.2 assists. As important as any player on the floor for them. Now it's a conference tournament game. Again, we're not saying that this game is going to be played in a, in a packed arena with 15,000 fans, but it does get amped up a notch. It's a conference tournament game. It's a first for him. Uh, he's done pretty well in terms of his assist total, has been fairly responsible with the basketball. Again, turnovers, are, turnovers have been a problem for this team, but we can't really say that he has been you know, the main source of that issue. What are you guys expecting from Jeremiah Williams in this game? Uh, a composed guy, a guy that's going to try to do a little bit too much. What do you think you'll see from him uh, against USF? 
That's a great question. And I have a couple thoughts. So my the first thing that comes to mind is uh, when I talked to him earlier in the season, um, we had talked about his nerves uh, against NJIT and on, open, on opening day, like, okay, this is your first game. You're playing in a much bigger arena than in a much bigger gym than you're accustomed to playing in. Uh, where, what were those nerves like going in that first game? What were guys telling you to calm you down? He's like, it's like every other basketball game he's played in. He did his normal routine that he did all through high school. And he didn't really think too deeply about nerves. Like you said, he wasn't that nervous. He was more so just excited to get on the floor and play. The other thing I'll say is when you talk about there being more fans. So if I'm not mistaken, Temple's the only team in the conference does not allow fans. Every other place allows at least some fans. And you're probably going to get a little bit more fans at Dickey's Arena in Texas, partially because of the restrictions in Texas, whatever, and partially because it's a bigger it's a big arena that they can fit. I think it's like 3,500 fans at 25% capacity. When it comes to Jeremiah Williams, and I don't know this for sure, I didn't wasn't at any of his games senior year, but Simeon can pack a gym. Simeon can pack a gym as well as you know any any high school program in the nation. So it's I don't factor in the fact that there's going to be fans or it's going to be a little bit louder of a gym just because he's been in those environments. I mean, you want a city championship in Chicago. I can only imagine how many people were at that game. Uh, so that on top of the fact that he was, he wasn't nervous at all for his first, um, college game makes me think that he's not going to be any different for his first conference or first, first conference tournament game, first postseason game on top of the fact that he's been so he's played so far beyond his age throughout his entire freshman regular season. He's just been so composed on the floor. And I think there's a chance that maybe the first couple minutes he find him kind of getting into the rhythm of things, but. I don't expect anything different from Jeremiah Williams in this game uh, on Thursday against USF than what we've seen all season. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with Sam. I don't, I don't think the stage is too big. Not that the stage is big, but the stage is too big for him. Um, I think what you're going to see from him is he's going to try and facilitate the offense like he, he has been. And, I mean, finding Caleb Battle, finding Damian Dunn, hopefully if Damian Dunn plays. Um, I feel like he, he played very, very well defensively over the past two games, especially what he did um, – um, against USF and their win, what he did to their guard play. And then the fact that USF doesn't have Caleb Murphy, um, it, it's definitely helps Temple in that regard. And maybe you hope that he has a chip on his shoulder a little bit too. I mean, I, I feel like we all think that he should have been elected to the um, all-freshman AAC team. And I, th I think it was kind of a joke that he wasn't considering what he's been able to accomplish as, as a freshman in 15 games. But I wouldn't expect him to be too, trying to do too much unless, like, Damian Dunn doesn't play and Caleb Battle just can't hit shots. I feel like he, he's going to fit into his role and, and do what's asked of him for sure. All right, so, again, the Owls face USF Thursday at noon. That game's on ESPNU. If they happen to get past USF, then they face the top seed in the tournament, the Wichita State Shockers. Again, uh, we're looking ahead here. If they beat USF – you know, we've talked about the fact that Wichita State might be a slightly better matchup than than Houston. So, again, tall task for, for Temple to win four games in four days and pull off what, what Drexel has done, which is to win the conference tournament, get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. Stranger things have happened, but this is the first step ahead for the Owls. All right, so as we said at the top of the show, we typically talk a lot of football and basketball on this podcast, but when the Temple men's soccer team knocks off the number two team in the country, you want to talk some soccer and we are fortunate enough to have the head coach of the team, the head coach of the program, Brian Rowland on the scoop with us. Brian, again, is coming off. He and his team are coming off that two, nothing win over SMU. Brian, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm doing well. 
Oh, well, thanks for, thanks for spending some time with us. We'll, we'll start with the simple question. You know, again, you guys have knocked off some nationally ranked teams in the past, but this one I would imagine feels a little special. It's the highest ranked win in the, in the, in the program's history. Again, I know it sounds like a simple question, but what is, what does this do for you guys? What does it do for the morale of the team? And what does it do for the reputation of the team? Yeah, I, I think hopefully all positives. Um, you know, I think certainly we, we believe that, you know, the three years that we've been here, we've been building our program to be a nationally recognized program and, you know, beating teams and we've beaten, you know, some, some very, very good teams. And SMU is, is another sort of in, in that resume that I guess we're building, but um, yeah, we feel really strongly about what we're doing and, and we feel like, you know, we're in a place that we can compete with anyone now, you know, we want to continue to win games and, and win all the games that we play in. But uh, certainly we know that on any given day that we have enough talent and enough, you know, ability uh, to beat anyone. And SMU has been a, a very, very good program over the last few years. So um, it's great. It's great to get a win in conference. Uh, it's, it's great to get the recognition, but certainly we know that um, we still have a lot of work to do in, in this season and then, you know, continuing to, to build off some of these as it relates to recruiting and, and certainly using sort of, you know, any um, profile that this one would get us to help us uh, continue to, to brand ourselves and, and continue to get better. Now, soccer is a game that obviously I'm not telling you anything. You don't know soccer is a game where there are so many little things that can tilt the game one way or another. And you guys won this game ever after, after having lost the last three, all of them by just one goal. And then you had two games canceled in that span. Did, did something just finally click for you guys? Is this something where you might've seen this one coming and you thought we're just a step away. We're just a play away. Did, did something just finally come together? You know, I think it's hard as a coach because you realize, you know, that, that where you want to be and the, the realization that we've played four games and we have some new players and, and we're, we're still growing. So I think uh, in the three games we played, I thought, you know, we deserved better. Uh, on the day, I thought we were very, very good in those games in a lot of areas. But as you mentioned, you know, one play and, and you know, the, the margins are very, very small, especially in our conference. It's a very, very strong conference. So I thought we'd been at a place where we've been performing well enough to win those last three games that you mentioned. Um, but certainly, you know, our back was against the wall a little bit and, and our, you know, the best opponent, you know, that we had faced so far coming into town. So I think we learned a lot about our group. I think we learn, you know, you learn a lot more from, from losing than you didn't, you do from winning as much as you want to find areas to improve in your wins. It's always easier to, to grow from a loss. So I was happy that we we're able to take some of those lessons and then maybe put a more of a complete game together so that we didn't really have any of those lapses or, or one moments that can cost you a game, which, you know, in our sport and in our conference can. Brian, um, conference matchups are always kind of testy. I mean, there was three red cards and, and seven yellow cards handed out over the course of your guys' game. How do you think your team responded to that level of physicality? Yeah, I think, you know, that it, I know the one red card was sort of two yellows, which, you know, I think maybe they're situational. Our sport's so interesting that, you know, uh, one card can kind of encompass a lot of different things. So, um, but I, I think that the point of it is, you know, whether it's, you know, South Florida, I think there was a ton of fouls in our first game, 
all the games are hyper competitive. Uh, all the opponents that we have in our league, which is six really, really good teams now, uh, nationally, I would consider all six to be relevant. They're going to be, you know, hotly contested and good athletes and, and sort of, you know, good performers. So um, our guys have to be ready. And uh, I think we're certainly in a place where we can compete and uh, not only in, in the technical and tactical areas, but in the physical areas as well. And Brian, just to follow up, in your first in his first collegiate start, your keeper uh, Owen Garonski was was able to notch a clean clean sheet and six saves. I mean, he he was kind of thrown in the fire against the number two team in the country and was pivotal in, in securing three points for you guys. How impressed are you with this performance, and, and how much did that mean for your team? Yeah, we've we've known Owen's been with us for you know this is his second season, and it's been a you know two full years now, and we we feel very strongly that we've grown in our depth in all, all areas. And I think we've got a really good goalkeeping core, but, you know, Owen has been patient. He hasn't really had a chance to, to play in many games. You know, the spring was an opportunity for him last year that we didn't really get because of COVID. And, and obviously our goalkeeper, you know, the two previous seasons uh, moved on to MLS. So we, you know, we knew Owen was capable, but obviously that's a big test to get your first start against a team of that, you know, that, uh, that ability, they score a lot of goals and they test you in a lot of different ways. And I, I was very happy with his performance. Obviously, it gave the team a lot of, um, you know, uh, strength and, and confidence. So from that standpoint, I was super excited for him. And then obviously for the team that did a lot. And Brian, you guys were able to secure an early lead at home to have that 2-0 advantage against a team of that caliber um, is pretty impressive in itself. But SMU came into the game outscoring its opponents 14-0 through three games. How did that early lead pivot your game plan, if at all? I think the first goal in our sport is, is so critical. And, and uh, I know we'd gotten the first goal, I think, in, in our previous game. So, you know, getting the first one and then obviously building on that and getting the second. My hope was we could have maybe iced it off with a third or a fourth. But I think the first goal in soccer is, you know, and games are like we mentioned are so finely, um, you know, the margins are so fine that, getting that first goal and getting that belief and especially coming off a couple of losses, it's, it's good to, you know, have the group feel, feel confident and, and get off to a good start. And uh, I thought we definitely did that. And certainly our confidence grew through the game. So uh, it was important uh, not only in that game, but all games, but uh, I think that that gave the group a, a good bit of belief moving, uh, moving forward and, and uh, feeling confident that we had a, a good approach to the game. So on that note, uh, SMU has a, an equalizer goal that was disallowed. What did that do for you guys, I guess, momentum-wise, and how might that have changed the game considering it could have tied the game? Yes, yeah, certainly, you know, there's always these moments in games you're, you're going to have to make a play, and I know Owen made a good save, and certainly, you know, there was a foul on the play, but you see those go in you know, different ways. So I think, uh, you know, sometimes you want those results, or you definitely always want those results to go your way. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it was, it was, you know, maybe a wake up call that, uh, you know, we needed to keep pushing on. And, and, uh, I think they had had a little bit of momentum at that point. And, uh, you know, I think it was a good wake up for us to, uh, to kind of get back to, to being aggressive and, and being committed to what we wanted to do. So, uh, it's nice when you catch those breaks and they don't, uh, don't cost you a goal and don't level the game. So, uh, we certainly, uh, we're thankful that that wasn't uh, an equalizer and, we could then move on from there, still up one goal. Brian, like we said, nationally beating nationally ranked teams isn't something that's new for you guys. And you did it a couple of times 
in your first season with a, with a new staff and a, and a mostly new roster, your first win at Temple came over a nationally ranked Old Dominion team and then you guys beat a nationally ranked US, a UCF team a little bit later in the season. It, for someone who isn't as familiar with your program, maybe isn't even like to a casual fan who's not as familiar with the game, can you take fans inside now, like sometimes coaches will say, hey, we, we just went out there, we executed, we, we caught some breaks and we won. But is there something that goes into as a coach on your side of things, getting guys up to, to, to fine tune them to say, hey, this is a really good nationally ranked team you're playing it, it, to just to get out there and execute it and get that done. You've been able to do it a few times. What, what goes into it as a coach from start to finish and preparing your team to perform at that high of a level to say, this is what it takes to get it done and then go out and execute it? Yeah, I, I think, you know, every year is a little different. And, and certainly in our, our instance, the, the three years are, have been very different in terms of, um, you know, what kind of game plan we can implement. Um, but, I, you know, I think what it comes down to is, you know, what I've, what I've loved about our program from, from the day we got here was that we've always had, you know, competitors. We've had guys that, uh, you know, that first year you mentioned, was probably more, more of the situation that you were talking about. I think we had a good game plan in those games you catch a couple breaks and uh, the guys go out and execute it. I think over the last couple of years uh, we've been able to be, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, aggressive in how we want to play these games because, you know, the, the level of the group has grown in terms of ability and the things that we can do. Um, but what it comes down to is, is really just, you know, the commitment to buy-in and, and the ability for the group to, to go out and execute as, as, you know, sort of vanilla as that sounds, it really is, about you know guys buying into what it is we want feeling like we've got a good matchup and uh and then to go out and then make plays but uh we certainly feel like where the group is now uh that we're you know this is not something that uh was was not by design or, or a fluke i think we're we're at a place now where we want to grow um but we can compete like we said with with for me anybody anyone in the country and i think we've shown We've beaten some really good teams over the last uh, couple of years with this this group, and uh, I think we're getting better. I think we're getting um, to know each other, and we still have a lot of young players, which is exciting. So I think we're still we're still seeing our best, and I think that as we go forward, hopefully that uh, we're the ones carrying the ranking, and and uh, teams are maybe hunting us a little bit more than the other way around. Brian, you were you were part of a really successful Maryland staff, and and you have roots in that area from having had a great playing career at UMBC. And obviously you played professionally. The what was attractive to you when the temple opening came up back in 2017? What made you say, I, I want to jump at this? I, I would imagine you, you obviously had aspirations to be a head coach. What made the temple opening the right one to say, I want to go after this one? Yeah, I think one of the things that that's really that we're seeing really come into fruition now is is one, we we believe that we could be, I could build a national contender here. And it's taken, you know, it'll take time and we're not, you know, by no means, you know, beating one team is, is certainly, you know, uh, crowned us anything. But I think we felt like given our conference, we could compete, you know, to get to get in the NCAA tournament, to give ourselves a chance to advance in an NCAA tournament in a conference that, you know, could put multiple teams in. Um, and then from, you know, from the soccer standpoint, that allows you to recruit. That allows you to bring in you know, really talented players that want to be, you know, playing against these teams and playing against the UCFs and the SMUs of the world as well as a really strong out-of-conference schedule. And then I think getting up here and, and just seeing, you know, the city and then and then meeting the people in the department, uh, 
you felt like this was this was a you know it is a big school and it was ready to to be sort of cultivated in that way I felt like there was nothing that I thought could hold us back and you know then it then it's just about putting the work in and uh from that standpoint I, I thought this was you know really a no-brainer to be able to build this towards um you know really high ambition and uh and high objectives and I think we're we're on our way and, and we're excited to, to be making those steps. Brian, they, they just announced uh, with things hopefully getting better with COVID that, that Temple can have a limited number of fans at, at the sports complex. And, you know, in, in, in this world, people focus so much on like, you got to drive fans to football and basketball, but we know that, you know, when you get fans out, you know, to, to soccer games, to lacrosse games, to field hockey games, they can be an event. And, you know, I can't, can't say I ever covered soccer down at Maryland, but, you know, playing in the big 10, I imagine it was a pretty cool atmosphere there. And I've been to other campuses where it is an event where people say, I'm going to, I'm going to go spend some time out in the sun. I'm going to watch this team. And the more they're engaged with the team, they say, wow, we got a good soccer program here. And they start to get to know the players and it becomes an event. Do you think that's possible at Temple, it sounds like obviously that's the direction where you want to take things. You have national goals. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different now. You're playing in the spring because of COVID, but what what's possible atmosphere-wise for what you guys want to what you guys want to what you want to build? Do you see something like that and say, "I want us to be a, this. I want this game. I want a Temple soccer game to be a destination thing for for Temple fans, for the students, for the families." Do you think that's that's possible, Temple? One hundred percent. I think that you know when I was looking at this position and, and Pat Kraft was the AD here. I think, you know, that, that big 10, that, that Maryland model, which, you know, if you've, if you haven't seen a game there, you know, it's like seven, 8,000 people and it's student based, student driven. And, and that's, that's where we want to get to. I think our next home games are Friday night. Uh, a lot of our, our games are typically in the fall will fall on a Friday night, which is really great to capture sort of the, the student, the student base and being on campus, um, being, you know, in a place where, you know, we're so accessible to the student bodies and then having, you know, these great kids that, that are, like you said, that, that interact within the community and, and are, are very much uh, a part of the student campus life. I think the goal is to, to start to really fill that place. And, and we've made some strides and, and obviously we got to keep building on some momentum of getting some consistent games at home. And, and I know COVID's kind of you know, interrupted that in a lot of ways, but I, I feel like to your point, as we sort of look into the future again, is, is building that atmosphere is building uh, sort of a, a really difficult place. Like, you know, a lot of college soccer uh, venues have become, and we want to be one of those that, you know, it's a, it's a tough place to come to and the fans are on top of you. And, and it's just a, a great event for, for students to come out to. And, uh, especially being in the city, um, you know, tying into a lot of the, you know, the, the people that love soccer is I, I think we can, we can attract students. I think we can attract community as well. And you know, at the end of the day, our job is to win uh, because people want to come out and watch a team that, that performs well, wins games and is exciting to watch. So uh, we'll put the product together on the field and certainly we'll start to create events where we can really uh, generate crowds and, and hopefully keep people coming back. Brian, three years or almost three years into to being a head coach. Um, what is it again? You, you, coaching isn't new to you. And again, playing at a high level isn't new to you, but coaching college soccer now and in, in 2021, again, it's in a weird spot because of COVID, but is, is being the head coach of a, of a division one college program, what you thought it was going to be? Is there anything that's been more challenging or less challenging than you expected? 
You know, I think up until probably last March, I think it was going similar to what what I thought it would would be. And, and certainly being able to, you know, uh, kind of build things as you want and, and see see them being. And then I think with with COVID, it certainly has challenged us all to be, you know, more connected and deal with with some of the, the, the you know, be more flexible, I think, as as, as sometimes as you know, maybe competitors ourselves or hyper competitors, you, you tend to be a little bit rigid and this has forced us to be flexible and make sure that we are, you know, um, doing things that, that, you know, uh, help us get to where we want to get to. And, and there's a lot of different ways to do it now. So I think that's probably been the biggest adjustment is, is just dealing with the, the current landscape and then hopefully just really learning some lessons uh, that we can take and, and move forward with. So, um, you know, apart from the X's and O's and apart from the recruiting side, I, I think that's gone relatively, you know, close to, to what we expected, obviously, as we win and, and progress that that's become a little bit, uh, easier. Um, but certainly, you know, I think just what we've learned over the last year is, is, uh, you know, to, to continue to, to keep those strong relationships and continue to be flexible and, and, and find solutions to, uh, what can be a myriad of problems or, or, or potential problems. Um, but uh, other than that, yeah, we, we, I've been really excited and, and our staff is great. Those guys do a, a fantastic job. So um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to work with the people and, and the, the players that we are, uh, that are in our program. So from that standpoint, it's, it's, it's gone well. Brian, just a, a couple more quick questions. And again, we really appreciate you making time for us today in any season you need leaders. I would imagine in a season like this, where again, things stop and start with, with COVID protocol, uh, who are some of the leaders on this team, guys that can really kind of carry the message for you when you can't be around them as much? Is it a guy like an Esteban Suarez on the back line? Again, we, we know there's so many different critical phases and parts to this team. Who are the guys that have really kind of been instrumental to your success, not only just in getting a win, but really kind of holding things together now in a, in a crazy time? You know, I think our captain Pierre Caillé is uh, is a guy that that certainly is is probably the most influential player on the team. Um, you know, he's a guy that's grown tremendously from from when he got here. He's an exceptional player, uh, but he's certainly a guy that that does all the right things and and you know will leave a mark on this program moving forward that that hopefully uh, others can replicate. But he's uh, he's helped us push this forward. He's a, he's a super competitor, but he's also a really responsible guy. Um, you know, along with him, uh, Brandon Johnson, who partners him at center back. And again, often you, your leaders tend to be sort of back to front. Um, and those guys have done a really good job of helping what, what is it still a relatively young group, um, kind of learn the ropes and, and then being international guy, you know, or peer being internationals, we have a big group of internationals. So, you know, him and, and Esteban and, and Mikel Borger, these guys have all kind of been around with us for, for the last sort of two years and have been part of this process and certainly are guys that are, you know, continuing to lead and, and help help the new guys figure it out. So um, I'm so confident in, in them as leaders, and uh, it's certainly much stronger of a leadership group than I think we've had at any point uh, since I've gotten here, which is which is a testament to those guys really being bought into to some of the things we want to do and, and some of the culture that, that uh, we've been working on creating. Brian, what, what do you do if anything outside of soccer? We, we tell podcast guests all the time. I'm sure you're, you're sick of getting the same questions. 
from reporters about, you know, the momentum shift in a game or something like that. Um, if outside of soccer, what's something that maybe people wouldn't, wouldn't know about you? Cause sometimes people say oh, outside of what I do, it's just, I, I eat and sleep and I, I get up and do the same thing. Are you that type of guy or, or do you have interests outside of the game that people wouldn't know about you? You know, probably over the last year, it's been very much uh, that it's, it's obviously we, we, there's not a lot we can do. Um, but certainly, you know, you know, my wife and I like to experience the city and, and, you know, the restaurants when they're open and, travel when that opens up again but um you know i think we, we're certainly i'm fortunate that through our recruiting we, we're very global and and uh you know i've always been someone that that's like to to experience new things um and uh obviously we you know, love the city of philadelphia and and some of the sort of the great restaurants and, and places to go uh when we do have some downtime but uh i'd say over the last year <laughs> it's probably been very very much work work and and repeat um but uh no i think we're you know we're looking forward to getting back to some of those other other hobbies that uh that my wife and i have and uh yeah certainly you know keeping up with everybody else i'm an avid sports fan in a bunch of different areas i love hockey growing up in canada so yeah i think uh, all of those and and uh, a little bit of golf if i can find the time but other than that uh this is a, a an exciting project that uh myself and the staff are putting as much energy into as we can and uh you know, hopefully it's, uh, we'll, we'll continue to pay off and, and, uh, you know, grow as we grow. You have a favorite restaurant that you missed that you haven't been able to get to that you're looking forward to opening up? You know, I think we've, we've checked out a couple. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we like, you know, some of the, some of the restaurants down downtown, uh, double knots, a favorite of ours, um, you know, Soraya and Fishtown. So, you know, it's, it's cool. We're in a great, great location. So I think those are a couple that, uh, you know, we're looking forward to to resuming uh, normality and uh, and uh, getting back there maybe after after a win, maybe celebrating a win with a nice dinner at one of those places. Brian Rowland, Temple Med soccer coach. Thanks again for joining us again. Congrats on the big win over SMU. Best of luck to you and the rest of the season. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you again somewhere down the line. Thank you. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. I once again, a big thank you to Temple Men's soccer coach. Brian Rowland for joining us. Uh, we promised you that we would talk some Temple football. We're glad to do that and here with us today on The Scoop, and we're very happy to have him. Appreciative of having him on the podcast is Temple starting tight end, David Martin Robinson. David, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited no, to talk. Yeah, thanks for, having, thanks for joining us. Um, David, we, we've been asking all the guys this because of the craziness of the, of the transfer portal. And you guys, you know, you've seen a lot of roster movement uh, guys have left. You've got some new players that I'm sure you're excited about. What's, what's the mood of the program like right now? Because I, I think collectively the fan base, when they saw a lot of guys transferring out the fan base from the outside, looking in starts freaking out and saying, what's going on? What's wrong? Is there something wrong? A disconnect with the players and the coaches. You're obviously one of the guys that's that stuck around and you're a critical piece to the team. Um, as we're sitting here in mid-March, you know, hopefully in a couple of weeks, you guys will start spring ball. What's the mood of the team like right now after all the comings and goings with the with the roster movement with the portal? I think we're finally at a pretty calm state where we're just, well, now we're just working, kind of got out of the, the hectic time period where people were deciding whether they wanted to leave or stay. But for the most part, I think the attitude is that anyone who's here now is pretty locked in, at least going into this coming fall. Um, 
So yeah, that's what I probably say. I say we're all just now we're all just working because we all know that nobody's going to leave right now. Mm-hmm. Now you're a guy, and this is a question I never thought I'd ask. Like you're a guy, you were recruited by Jeff Collins. You were around, and I know the guys. Some of the guys who had left that say, "Yeah, we've just we've been through a lot. We've been through a lot of head coaches." Now you weren't recruited by Matt Rule, but you were recruited by Jeff. You were there when Matty Diaz comes and goes, and I know this stuff takes a toll. I suppose you could have been like, you know what? I went through that, went through COVID. I'm pretty good. Maybe the grass is greener on the other side. You decided to stay. Why did you, why did you decide to stay? What made you want to stay at Temple? First of all, it was the academic side. I really, before I moved, try to go anywhere. I want to get my degree before anything. Um, but for the football side, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of guys that, that left, not like, not saying that they left for the wrong reasons, but I, th- I feel like a lot of guys put too much, too like emphasize how we did last year too much into their decision. Even though last year was a tough year, we were we were down guys every game, so it wasn't it wasn't always the easiest. It was the first it was like a pan first time we played through a pandemic like ever for like football like that for anyone. So I mean, it's not it's not an excuse for how last season went, but it's definitely. Uh, something that I feel like people thought about too much because we, we were fine. I think we're going to be great this year. Um, I mean, the year before that, we did we did pretty decent, so there's no reason why we shouldn't be back to it um, under normal conditions. Hey, David, uh, how frustrating was last season for you? You had a good game against Navy, five receptions, 72 yards, and, and caught that 35-yard pass from, from Brennan Mack. And you played the following week and then missed three games from being in the team's COVID protocol. And the season wasn't a whole, uh, as a whole wasn't really the same after that. I mean, what was it like for you to, to go through that? Man, that was rough. It was rough. I was – I just felt like, I don't know, it was just at a critical time for our team because then we started – playing some tough opponents like we had the, the Memphis loss. Like it just it just felt awful sitting on the couch watching them play from the TV. So that was frustrating. And then getting back into it um in the middle of the season, they were they were taking precautions with like easing me back in, making sure that I didn't like injure myself by going hundred percent right after not doing anything for like two weeks. So it was definitely very, very challenging. And then for the amount of guys that had to go through that process, I it was it was, it was tough very frustrating. So David, you kind of alluded to this, but when you're coming out of the COVID protocol, how hard is it to bounce back just physically and mentally get back in the swing of things, especially when you had so many other players out at that point due to injury or also being in protocol with you? I'd probably say physically was, to be honest, the the easiest part because you can, I mean, we train for so long that like as soon as you start moving again, it comes back pretty quick. But mentally, uh, getting back into like those processes because during the during the season you get you get your process you know what you're gonna do day by day to build to build up to a game but then when you're when you're sitting around for two weeks it it's hard to to keep up your your daily schedule so uh, that's probably the hardest part is uh, getting back to a football mindset with the daily schedule. So David, whether it's whether it's Dewan Mathis, Mariano Valente, Real Mitchell, uh, Matt Duncan, Paul Gray, or Justin Lynch, either way, you guys are going to have you're going to be you're going to be catching balls from a new quarterback with Anthony leaving. Um, there's obviously a ton of time left for all that to be sorted out with with spring ball and and preseason camp. But what do you know? I mean, some of these guys you've had the chance to get to know. Um, Dewan Mathis is somebody who's newer. What what do you know of of the quarterback room right now, and how do you start to build? 
build chemistry with those guys at a time like this? To, to be honest right now, for me, it's been a, it's been a mystery because we've been uh, a lot this off season, the tight ends have been primarily working with the, with the offensive line actually. So I haven't gotten too much crossover with the quarterbacks, but I know that all those guys are all competitors and I'm excited to watch all of them compete for that job. And they're all great leaders and personable guys. David, can, can you take us inside what the workouts look like right now? We, we know spring ball starts up next month, but but what can you guys do now? And, and what are you looking to kind of get out of that? Uh, right now, uh, our season um, program is looking like it's a phase, phase type of thing. So we uh, they split it up into four-week phases. So we, have, we had our first phase, which is the first four weeks we were here, where it was only lifting and lifting big. Mind you, that <laughs> it was some heavy lifting. And then... We'll take a week where we do active recovery, you know, get get our bodies, uh, get a little, nice little break. And then we do four weeks again where we uh, we have lifting. And then we also have what's called coaches workouts, which is basically conditioning-based practices, just no footballs, just, just very technique work um, for everyone. And then the last four weeks will be spring ball. So, yeah, where we actually will be able to play football your eye at all on either side of the ball, even just the way they've handled themselves in the offseason? Mm-hmm. Um, personally, in the tight end room, uh, I know JDP, James Delapesca. He's uh, caught my eye as a, as a workhorse and, and a sponge for inter- information, always just ready to learn something. Um, trying to think. Um, Victor Stoffel some, is somebody, is a lineman who I was always unsure how he was going to be because of his uh, – he wasn't too on board with gaining the weight that he needed to gain, but now he's at now he's at a 300, and he's, he's a good-looking 300. So I'm excited to see how he develops this spring and if he can be an asset to the offensive line. David, you, you mentioned James Delapesca, and I mean he's one of the guys at your position. Obviously, you, you come back as the returning starter. What do you think the future of the position looks like there with with some of the other guys in the mix? Whether it's a guy like Darius Pittman. A guy like Coleman Jeffcoat's going to be new. Can you talk to us about just some of the other guys in that tight end room there? Uh, they're all great guys. They're all high energy, um, especially JDP and, um, and Jeff Coleman. Um, they, they all love to learn, and they all don't hold back with questions, which is like, to me, that's the biggest teller of somebody that's going to be okay because, I mean, you're going to get the information. You're going to get what you need. Uh, JDP, I know, has put on weight honestly faster than I did when I first got here. So I know he's going to keep working with that. So it's, it's very promising in my opinion. David, you've, you've now had the chance to, to play with likely two NFL guys that Chris Myrick is with the Miami Dolphins and, and Kenny Yabo, who's, who's, you know, more than likely going to get drafted next month. What type of relationship have you been able to forge with those guys, you know, on and off the field and, and what have you learned from them? Any lessons you, you've taken along the way? Uh, I mean, my man, Myrick, that's a, that's a throwback. That's, that's my dog. Uh, he just always was there for me when I was a freshman. Whenever I would get too flustered with just the life of a, of a college football player, he'd always just just tell me to handle my stuff. So, I mean, he always says just, just go the extra rep. Just do the extra work. If it's like five minutes, ten minutes, even like after practice, it'll those ten minutes will always add up to way more time over time. That's probably the biggest thing that I took away from him and um, playing under Coach Foley 
And then Kenny um, personally helped me a lot with my confidence on and off the field as a person. So uh, he always just, because he always had faith in me as a player because he knew that um, I can make plays the same way that he can. So he always just told me to just be confident. So that's something that I took away from him. David, your, your offensive coordinator, Mike Uremovich, is also your position coach. What's your relationship like with him? And how much are you guys able to kind of get in his ear? Because you talk to different tight ends and the, the role of the tight end, it's like, get me involved more. Get me involved. Tight ends always want to get involved in the offense more. What's your relationship like with Mike? And can you kind of get in his ear and say, hey, what do you have dialed up for us this week? Yeah, um, I think this season I'll probably be more comfortable with doing that because I've never been the type of player to uh, to go and say, like, I like I think I should like be more involved in in the past game or anything. I always like I've always grown up letting coaches make the decision. But I think now I think me and you definitely we've had this relationship for a while, but I definitely can say something to him now where I, I could give my suggestions or my feedback as a player to him and he can make his adjustments off of that. But we have a really good relationship. Um, I always listen to him. And I think he trusts me a lot with um, how well I know the offense now. What kind of feedback do you get from him and, and from your head coach and Rod Carey? Because I think it was after that, after the Navy game in the opener. And I think it was in that, that press conference. And again, we're talking to Rod on Zoom. And I think he had said something at the time and said, listen, I know people are going to make a, and I'm paraphrasing here. I think he said, I know people made a big deal out of the fact that we lost Kenny, but David Martin Robinson looks like a pretty good player too. And he seemed obviously really excited about you again. Then you had to sit out with COVID and being a COVID protocol. What kind of feedback do they, do the, both those guys give you about your game and what they expect from you this season? Uh, I definitely think that they expect me to be a big contributor to the offense this year, kind of like a, just a reliable guy. So someone who's always going to be a solid option and uh, whether it's the pass game or trusting me to make uh, the block, which is something that I've always just been trying to improve on at, that I've been here because I came in as a, as a receiver. So that was, pretty normal to me, but blocking was something that I definitely had to get better at. So I feel like I've been gaining their confidence in my blocking abilities. David, last question for you. We, we always like to ask the guys, and I, we just uh, have said this so many times on this podcast, you, you, you get the same typical questions from reporters about the game of football, but what's, what's life like for you outside of football? Is there something that you always wanted to talk about that you don't get asked about, like something that, that somebody wouldn't know about you? Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, personally, I just, I like to, I found that during my time here at Temple, I've liked to try a, a whole bunch of different things that I think I never like to try, which I just feel like I should say more people should just explore any time that they get time to explore. Because I know here I've, I've gotten to go see all the things that are downtown. I've gotten to, I tried skiing, which I never thought I'd ever try, <laughs> especially during college and playing football. Um, so I just like to say that I like to get out and explore things. Were your coaches nervous and saying don't get don't get hurt on the ski slopes? This is a funny story, actually. I, I didn't tell Coach Yu before I went. Um, I had we had a, a coach a dinner with our ABC groups at Coach Carey's where he uh, made like personal pizzas for me and my teammates. It was pretty cool. And I told our defensive coordinator, Coach Knowles, um, at the time, I told him I was going skiing the next day. But he promised me that he wouldn't tell Coach you. And so I told him. <laughs> and what happened when when Mike Yaranovich found out? Uh, he just, he just kind of gave me a look like, uh, as long as you didn't go snowboard. He was more concerned I didn't snowboard because he, he said that that's more dangerous. But I think 
he's okay as long as I don't get hurt. <laughs> nice. David, thanks so much for spending time with us. We appreciate it. Good luck, and uh, hopefully we'll get to cover spring ball in some way, shape, or form in preseason camp, and wish you the best of luck, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was nice oh. talking. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. Appreciate Thanks, it. Really appreciate it, man. All right. So a big thank you to Temple tight end David Martin Robinson for joining us. Some some interesting stuff there. Again, uh, I, I, a couple of interesting takeaways. I, I you know he mentioned uh, if you heard him talking about the fact that they've been doing a lot of work with Temple's offensive line. He said, you know, the the quarterback room is a little bit of a mystery. And again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, he said, I'm looking forward to meeting meeting more of those guys and spending more time around them. But, you know, he mentioned Victor Stoffel and working closely with the offensive line. And I think he said that Victor was a little hesitant to put on weight when he got to Temple, but now he's up at around 300 pounds. Um, and also what stood out to me amongst a lot of stuff that he said was that he feels more confident this year going to Mike Uremovich again, Mike is, is Temple's co-offensive coordinator and uh, also coaches the tight ends. And you heard, you heard David say, I, I feel a little bit more confident going to him this year and saying, yeah, I want to be more vocal. I want to get more involved. What stood out to you guys about the conversation? Uh, the one thing that I took away from, uh, from talking to DMR was how many times and how highly he spoke of JDP, James Delapesca. I mean, he, called him a workhorse that he's the kind of guy that um, his, the work effort, the the work ethic is there, the efforts there. And he's a guy that could, that could turn some heads this season. Yeah. And he would, he would be a really intriguing guy in the mix there. In addition to being part of the, the, the all initial team at the, at the position. I mean, if you, if you remember James Del Pasco was a guy that they got in on early and he was hurt uh, up at you know, playing high school ball in North Jersey. And I think the general consensus was at the time that had he not, gotten hurt i believe it was a knee injury um that he might have gotten some some bigger offers and i think i i i believe they just got in on early got in early on him and uh would be a cool story for them if he you know turned into a real contributor there at tight end but yes as, as sam mentioned he brought him up several times and you know that's the cool thing that i think that we've missed out on and, and not being around these guys you 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 know, you, you, you're around practice, a guy flashes, and then you ask a player like, Hey, is this legit? Did he, did the guy just make a play today? But you know, the truth usually comes out in the wash when some of these guys say, Hey, keep an eye out for this guy. They keep bringing up a name and bringing up a name. So maybe James Del Pesca is a, as a name to, to watch out for. Yeah. For me, I think that what really stood out is just how he talked about how, how tough and frustrating last season was while also coupling that with the fact that he, that he thinks that too many players who, transferred out of the program put too much emphasis on mm -hmm. the one and six performance so I, I found it to be interesting but I mean it kind of gave us a bird's eye view of just like how difficult it was and he wasn't the only one going through it so I think I mean for people who look at you know on the on the outside looking in not knowing what they're going through I mean I, I think it really took a toll on the players mentally and have I mean remember with CJ last week they're playing with the freshman team while a lot of these guys are like David said on the couch watching their teammates play. So uh, I, I think he did a good job of, of kind of kind of just giving more introspective into that. Well, again, a big thank you to Dave Martin Robinson. Big thank you to Brian Rowland, uh, our guest from the Temple Men's Soccer Program, the head coach of the, of the Owls. That'll do it for this week. Again, our, in terms of our mailbag, Sam Cohen answered a ton of basketball mailbag questions for his piece. Uh, that you can catch on the site right now if you're a subscriber. Again, as we mentioned at the outset of the show, you want to check out 
Sam and Sam's preview of the Temple USF game. Again, if you're listening to this on Thursday morning, the game should be tipping off shortly. By the time we talk to you next week, we will know if Temple has pulled off uh, the remarkable feat of winning four straight down in, in, uh, in Dallas and Fort Worth. And uh, again, doing what, what, what Drexel did and getting uh, being an unlikely Philadelphia NCAA tournament story. So we'll have plenty to talk about next week as we inch closer to the NCAA tournament and certainly uh, spring football for the Owls. And uh, again, thanks again for joining us this week and we will talk to you soon.